Welcome to the PokePress Digest Podcast, a Pokemon news magazine show. Here you'll find some of the best content offered by our site. For more, visit us at pokepress.blogspot.com. This episode has two segments. In the first, I interview Simon Loveridge, a UK musician who recently published a metal cover of the SSN theme from Pokemon Red and Blue. We also discuss his other musical work, and oddly, a bit of Guitar Hero. In the second segment, Anne from PB Podcast drops by to talk about the music from the 12th Pokemon movie, Arceus and the Jewel of Life, where Shoko Nakagawa's Antenna of the Heart goes up against Chris Breeze Barsinski's If We Only Learn. After that, we talk about the opening themes and the score of the film. Thanks. Hi, I'm Stephen Reich here at the Poké Press Studios in Madison, Wisconsin. I'm on the phone with Simon Loveridge, who has done a number of metal covers of video game songs over the years, including a couple Pokemon ones that we'll be talking about today. And uh, Simon, we just really want to know more about your work. Uh, first off, where are you from? And how'd you get into doing music? Hi, I'm from uh, the UK. I've lived there my whole life. I grew up sort of near Oxford. Currently, I'm living in Leamington Spa, which is a little further north. It's kind of near the Birmingham area. And that's where I've been living for the last five years with my wife. And uh, how did I get into music? I've been into music my whole life, basically, uh, since, honestly, before I can remember. We had a piano in the house, and my both my parents were, were kind of musical. My dad played a lot of piano. So really, it's all, it all started from just learning stuff that my dad would teach me. And and I played video games for as long as I can remember as well. And I've always loved video game music. So those two things just sort of merged together. I did kind of proper piano lessons and learned classical music and that sort of stuff. And we had music lessons in school. But the uh, the video game music, figuring tunes out and how to play them on the piano and doing my own versions of them, that's the thing that's always been my big, like the thing that I'm passionate about, you know, scales and and sort of boring stuff is fine and it gets you a long way, but you've got to be into something and be passionate about something. For me, that was always game music. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's how it started. I guess. How did the actual YouTube channel get started then? When did you start sort of publishing these? So I think my first, I, I had a look the other day and I think it says I've been on there since 2008. And, uh, that was back when I just sort of basically made a channel just to stick a couple of random videos up. And they were, I think they've always basically been, um, uh, video game things i did a couple of other like metal covers like a megadeth track and i think possibly like a rush song or something but it was no there was no kind of big plan or anything it was just i did some recording and i thought oh you know just put it up and see what happens never thinking that you know i'll try and turn this into something big it was just kind of like oh, it'd be cool to have something up there that i basically did it like I, I sort of worked like that for quite a few years where there was no real commitment there was no social media pages that went with it or no channel art or anything like that no structure it was just kind of every time anytime i felt like uploading a video i would and it usually ended up being about a year so uh it kind of got to i think 2016 or 17 maybe yeah just over a year ago where uh i think the the months leading up to march i was thinking right i want to get back on the case i want to i want to actually turn this youtube thing it was sitting with about 100 and something subscribers and I thought it'd be cool to just sort of get back on it and uh, start recording a track every week and put out proper videos and make sure that all the videos are the kind of, I, I don't know how many of them you've seen, but what I do is I try and make every video as similar as possible. It's always uh, six screens, 
five of which are me playing um, music and then one of them is the actual gameplay and I wanted to sort of try and make a basically come up with some consistency every week it would be the same kind of thing but it would be just a random track but and I really tried to stick to that once a week schedule keep it uploading regularly and try and basically build up an audience and it's sort of been reasonably kind of slow going but it's it's kind of you know it's always on the up Uh, I think I'm on about just shy of like 800 subscribers now but yeah so it's basically been the last uh, year and a half I guess nearly where I've been sort of really committing to it and treating it more as like a here's a channel you can come back to every week and there will be new content and and I think that's probably the best way to actually to get more engagement I guess more of a more of an audience now one trick with video game music is that you know some of it has been published in like sheet music form and stuff like that, but a lot of it isn't. Uh, how do you go about sort of figuring out the notation and arrangement and stuff like that? Uh, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. There is um, there is some sheet music stuff out there. I'm, I'm sure you can probably find quite a bit, but for the most part, I uh, I actually uh, figure it all out by ear, and that's kind of how I've really always learned music. Uh, I, I was kind of uh, taught to read sheet music when I was a kid, but I found it a lot. I've always found it easy just to sort of listen to something and then figure out the notes kind of in my head and work out how to play that on a guitar or on a piano, or whatever. And I guess as the years went on, I guess I got better at picking out chord sequences and uh, and slightly more complex stuff to the point now where I think I can I can pretty well listen to sort of most tracks unless it's something particularly crazy where I can I can pick out the melodies and the harmonies and the chords just by ear. And translate that onto the guitar just from using kind of the music theory that I know. Basically, there are a couple of tracks which I have actually used sheet music for. Like, and, and for uh, one of them was actually the um, the cover of SSN that I did from Pokemon Red and Blue and Yellow. Um, there's just the the melody parts in that are all a bit complicated, and I think I could have sat there for ages and ages and and try and figure it out. But it was actually easier just to quickly stick it into Google and uh, basically find out the sheet music from that. Um, the other thing that's actually helped me quite a bit is I, I actually worked for a video game company in in Leamington Spa, and we actually worked on the latest version of Guitar Hero, uh, Guitar Hero Live, which came out uh, a couple of years ago. And my job on that was to uh, listen to the tracks and basically turn them into gameplay. So if you've played Guitar Hero before, you know you have the notes that come down the highway towards you. Uh, it was my job to create those notes and to actually make the games from that. And so a lot of that was you know training my ears to pick out guitar parts and figure out exactly kind of what was going on and and doing that every day for you know how long we worked on it a couple of years three years it it really helped with listening to a track and figuring out really what's going on kind of behind the scenes and stuff so that was another part of it i guess interesting interesting well going back to that ssn one that you did recently yeah first of all why did you choose that song is there certain selection criteria is it just what interests you or are there certain types of uh of tunes that you look for uh uh, it's kind of a bit of everything really like it it mainly boils down to what interests me and 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 also there's a i guess the selection criteria is can i actually do this like can i is this going to be feasible to to sit down and actually record guitar parts for there are some things there are some tracks like um a lot of the shovel knight music and actually a lot of the pokemon music like the battle themes and stuff where people say yeah you should do the 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 battle theme from pokemon red or from gold or whatever and as much as i would love to i sit and listen to it and you've got these crazy fast uh synth lines that are moving along you know it's a frantic piece of music and that's by design you want it to be a crazy bit of music and uh i kind of have to work with my physical limitations i'm i'm I feel like I'm a decent rhythm guitarist and I'm an okay lead guitarist. I'm not great with all the super fast 
shredding accurate stuff so i kind of have to work with my limitation and i think the ssn track really i i was just every now and then i just sort of go back to pokemon because it's such a good uh selection of music across all the games um and i just sort of listening through the soundtrack i think on youtube i think i was just trying to find ideas just to see if there's anything that stuck out and i got to ssn and this i really love the music it's, it's this really beautiful melody that sort of comes in and then you've got this counter melody that kicks in after a few seconds and then another one what you end up with is three melody parts that there it's all kind of these lines are all weaving together and they create this beautiful uh sequence and one of my favorite things is to take something that doesn't sound like it should be in a metal track it doesn't sound like it should be done on distorted electric guitars and putting it into that context you get this really nice uh juxtaposition where it's like this shouldn't work like this shouldn't work as a heavy metal song but it kind of does and i think that is where i find quite a lot of joy when i'm picking out these tracks if i think oh, this might work and then i give it a go and I go actually that sounds really cool the guitar parts playing all those melodies works really well and you've got these slightly heavier nice chords going on in the bottom so ssm was just one of those ones where i, I listened to it thinking this might sound really weird it might not work but i'll give it a go and in, in, I think fairly quickly I, I had a good idea that it was going to end up sounding quite cool. And by the time I've got the finished version, listened through it, I, it's, it's yeah one of one of my favourite ones I've done recently. Just just because of how it feels like it shouldn't work, but it does. I guess. Are there any particular passages from the song that really struck you that you haven't uh, mentioned uh, so far? Yeah, I mean the, the that opening bit, the opening sequence is obviously really nice. But there's a bit in the second. I guess if you were to, you know, because the melody is not that long, really. It's actually is a repeatable sequence. It's only about 20, 30 seconds long. But the second half of it where you've got this really lovely sequence and it actually just, it sort of plays a, se- it plays a little phrase and then it sort of moves down a step and then moves down a step and moves down a step and, and the chords that go along with that. Uh, yeah, that second half of it is just a really nice compliment to the first half, I guess. What else have you done recently on your channel? What other video game covers have you done? uh i do you know what i do kind of forget <laughs> and it's only when i go back and actually look and i go oh yeah i remember that and i think one of the ones that i think worked quite well was uh, i did a golden eye 007 n64 track which uh straight away when you think back to the golden eye music it's it's instantly it's like classic james bond theme and it's always a bit hard rock anyway so that was one of those ones where unlike ssn where i thought eh, this might work it might be okay but it kind of did this was one where I was like, this is definitely going to work because it's like a hard rocking track. And that was quite cool because that got picked up by, uh, what was it, Gaming, Uni Lads Gaming, like this big Facebook page. And a couple, there's another one as well, um, United Gaming Australia, these big Facebook pages which basically got hold of me and just said, can we stick this music on our page and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, great. And that ended up getting shared around a lot. And I got a sort of decent chunk of subscribers from that one. So I think that was one that just resonated with a lot of people because obviously GoldenEye was huge. It was, you know, one of the biggest n64 games and it just worked it was just one of those ones where off the bat it didn't take me very long because it just sort of wrote itself basically um so that was cool and then the other one i was really quite happy with was uh there's a super mario galaxy uh gusty garden galaxy which is one that i did a couple of months ago and that's just i I love that one just because it's so big and so epic and again the mario galaxy music is absolutely stunning some of my favorite music of all time um so that was a real real pleasure to put that one together it's got a little bit of piano in there as well which i rarely put in and that tends to sort of like rich up enrich in the tracks quite a bit any uh future plans uh what do you plan on doing with the channel next uh my, my sort of long-term future plans really is just just 
really kind of stick, try and stick with it and try and uh, stay committed to getting content out regularly. And really that's, it's, it's been tricky more recently in the last, I guess six months, just because, um, what actually happened is before that that moment in March 2017 where I thought right I'm going to I'm going to release a video and I'm going to start every week I actually had a backlog of tracks which I'd recorded and I had about 25 that were already done already written already recorded already produced and mixed and mastered or whatever I just had to do the videos so getting one a week out then was no problem because I just had to film a quick video and get some gameplay footage and, and match it up I then sort of very quickly well not quickly but gradually sort of ran out of that backlog and now I'm I'm in the position where I'm having to you know, think of an idea and then sit down and figure out all the parts and then record the audio and then do the video and, and trying to find that And in sort of, you know, I'm working a full-time job as well. Uh, I got married a couple of months ago as well. So, so there was just a lot of busy stuff going on. And, uh, so my, one of my future plans is to basically get back to making sure I'm putting out content every week. Cause I think at the moment I'm hitting about every couple of weeks or so. Um, I'm also going to, uh, make sure I'm, I do a bit more live streaming on my channel as well. Uh, so that's something I, I started to get into a little bit where I would set up a whole live stream thing where you can actually watch me record a track from start to finish. And I, I open up a fresh music project and I go, right, I'm going to try and record, uh, the Star Fox 64 theme. for the most part it's worked, but it's, it's kind of quite a taxing thing to do just because keeping that keeping sort of talking and recording and thinking of parts and stuff it's quite you end up getting quite t- tired quite quickly uh, but that's something i want to get back into because that was really good fun uh and the other thing i'm doing at the moment is i'm collaborating with another youtuber uh he's uh another youtuber who does video game metal covers and i i won't reveal it or spoil it just yet just because uh we're still kind of working on it together and um it's a basically what i can say is it's from legend of zelda ocarina of time music but it was really really great to work with this guy i've been a fan of his for ages and he's, he's got a decent uh, uh sort of subscriber base on youtube so it'd be really great to potentially get some of my stuff out to a few more people as well uh but that should be all coming together in the next few weeks so yeah there'll be there'll be uh, hopefully quite a cool collaboration project coming up very soon all right well thank you very much simon absolute pleasure thank you very much for having me it's great to talk to you this has been Stephen Reich from the Pokepress Studios in Madison, Wisconsin, on the phone with Simon Loveridge, a man who does metal covers of video game music. Hi, I'm Stephen Reich here at the Pokepress Studios in Madison, Wisconsin. I'm on the phone with Anne from PP Podcast, and as you've probably guessed, we're doing another in our series of comparisons of the English and Japanese ending themes of the Pokemon movies. This time we're covering Movie 12, Arceus and the Jewel of Life. So the matchup here on the Japanese side, we have Antenna of the Heart by Shoko Nakagawa. And on the English side, we have Chris Breeze Barsinski doing If We Only Learn. So I think this is going to be a fairly interesting competition, although I'm not sure... This is kind of an interesting movie for a variety of reasons, not uh, least of which is that it was the sort of third movie in a somewhat loose trilogy. But uh, we're going to start with discussing the musicians themselves in the production of the songs. And what can you tell me about Shoko Nakagawa? 
Oh my, there's almost so much information that, like, there's none. I don't know where to begin. But uh, Nakagawa Shoko, also known as Shokuthan, is a Japanese uh, talent. She's basically a TV personality and is best known for presenting Pokemon Sunday. But she's done all kinds of jobs in the entertainment industry. Like, basically every pop culture thing I love that you can think of, Shokuthan has been involved with it somewhere. Um, singing, acting, whatever. And, and in addition to the stuff she gets paid for, she's also known for being just a super fan and cosplay otaku. So even if she's not getting paid, she's probably still involved with it somewhere. She, she's basically us. Um, her father was a musician and Shokutan got into the entertainment business kind of inspired by him, though not originally as a musician. She was more of a, just a general, TV personality, but expanded to singing and voice acting and illustrating and modeling and professional cosplay and acting and blogging. She really has done it all, um, and especially in the anime um, field. And she's kind of celebrated in that way for just being able to touch so many aspects of pop culture and, again, being sort of representative of the audience in that she's a super fan herself and has kind of carved out a niche for her in that way. And one thing I love about her in relation to Pokemon and all the work she's done for the franchise is that she's often sort of presented as the face of the Pokemon franchise and fandom, as someone who has been working with Pokemon since pretty much the beginning, has been a fan since the beginning, and continues to be a fan and involved with the show to this day. Like, I, I don't think there's anyone in Japan who loves Pokemon more than Nakagawa Shoko. And, like, there was once a TV spot where she got Rika Matsumoto to profess love to her as Satoshi, and I think she's still the only person besides Pikachu who's gotten Satoshi to do that. Her biggest role in a Pokemon movie was Keldeo in uh, Kyurem and the Sword of Justice. And as a singer, I think Sora Irodes from Gurren Lagan is one of her best known works. But as I said, she has touched just about everything and has made herself a darling sort of in the showbiz world because she has that sort of innocent enthusiasm. She's a fan of everything. She's excited about everything. That relatability to her reactions makes her very appealing as a TV talent. Um, even if some of, some of her modeling work and such may not necessarily be innocent, but that enthusiasm she brings is really quite lauded. Aside from Shokutan, also contributing to this song are uh, Matsumoto Takeshi and Hosono Haruomi, lyrics and musical composition, respectively. And they are both members of the former rock band Happy End. Um, Matsumoto is a well-known lyricist. He's written for the likes of Matsuda Seiko, Kinky Kids, um, all sorts of well-known artists. And I found a lot less info on Hosono, but he's also quite well-known for his composing. And both he and Matsumoto have done a lot of work for Nakagawa Shoko's music and singles. And as far as the song itself goes, one thing you might notice um, as you look through the single releases is that there is an original mix as well as just the regular Kokoro no Antenna track. The original mix is the one that's for the movie, and it's kind of it's kind of more of a sedate track compared to a lot of Shoko's other stuff and and the Kokoro no Antenna that appears on the CD, like so. We don't know if it was made specifically for the movie in from the beginning or if it was a track that they were kind of working on 
and and then she was asked to do something for the movie and it was co-opted but definitely the original mix like it, it does seem like there was a lot of effort to make this song crafted towards the movie and then later retool the track for a single release so suppose we'll get more into that later mm. in any case on the english side uh chris as you may recall has this is not his first pokemon song of course he got Let's see, the Diamond and Pearl dub theme, and as well as Living in the Shadow from Movie 10. So this is basically his third time around on this. I have been looking up his website. His website is still around, still appears to be getting some updates, so he's still active there. I don't have a precise time or place uh, where he's from or how he got started in music. I did do an interview with him, but we unfortunately didn't cover that as well as we probably should have. In any case, he has been active since at least uh, well into the 90s. So he's he's been around in music a while. He has uh, opened for a number of acts that he lists on here, uh, including like Green Day and let's see. Hey. What we got Sugar Ray, Blue Oyster Cult, along with many others. He also apparently was a semifinalist on Star Search. This would be the original version with Arsenio Hall. <laughs> and he also worked on The Singing Bee as part of the house band or whatever there. Um, as far as how he got into Pokemon, what I seem to have noticed is that uh, from the interview is that he got involved with Razor and Tie, which, as some of you will remember, is related to the Kids Bop albums, and he did some work with those folks. And that was how he met John Leffler, who was working in that area as well at the time. And that eventually led to his Pokemon work, so that obviously led to all of this. As far as the song itself, it was written by John Leffler and David Wolfert, uh, much like the other ending themes from the fourth and fifth generation, so not a huge surprise there. I more or less have to assume it was written for the movie. Uh, when we get to the lyrics, it'll be fairly obvious there, so... Uh, but that's about all I can tell you. I don't know too much about the specific development of this song uh, in regards to that, though. Mm. All right, well, let's talk about some of the actual content. Going back to the Japanese side, you mentioned that there are two different versions of Antenna of the Heart, uh, the original mix and then the uh, single version that was pushed out, I guess, more to mainstream radio around the same time is how these work sometimes. Mm. Let's start with the original mix, just because that's the one that is actually associated with the movie. It uh, has somewhat of a very much a, a very light feeling, very synth pop. Is that the right word I'm using there? And what do you think? That that is what I would use. Yeah, and it, like it's quite interesting. I, I do quite like the synth, but mostly I'm just kind of impressed by like just kind of the slower feel. Like it. Maybe when you watch the movie and hear the song playing under the credits, that's not the feel you get. But when you listen to, like, the main single track or a lot of other stuff that Shoku Nakagawa does, you're like, whoa, this is sedate. But it's a very, yeah, it's very pleasing and I think fits the lyrics more, the original mix. Like, just that slightly slower, slightly less poppy, dancey track that the movie has attached to it. And... Like I said, I don't know how to describe what's going on with the synths, really, but like, there's just something very nice and interesting about kind of the way they 
I don't know, the the swells or the waves or whatever. <laughs> I I do prefer it much to the to the actual single release. Well, that's that's interesting. You had mentioned the lyrics a little bit there. Uh, what is the song actually talking about? I did read through a translation myself, but uh, I think you could probably give a little more insight. Okay, yeah, it's sort of about two people, friends, a couple, however you want to interpret that, and they're kind of in a bad place in life, I think. Like they're they're talking about how their their life is the color of ash, and they're gloomy and at a loss. And kind of in the midst of those feelings, looking across this meadow and being like, should we go forward to the future? And wanting to cross this space and, you know, find the proof of life and, and like to just try to go forward into a future and kind of leave that past behind, leave this sinking town behind. It's kind of a song of hope, I think, hope for the future. And like wanting to take a change and take that first step. And kind of the antenna of the heart is kind of like reaching out and responding to a change on the horizon, maybe. Kind of honing in on that that hope. Do you feel that sort of has any ties to the movie? Because I'm, to be honest, kind of struggling a little bit here. I do. And it's kind of in a weird sort of esoteric way. But this movie is about making a change that will affect the future. There's a lot of, there's some time travel stuff going on. There's a lot of Ar- Arceus thanking the children of the future and ideas of the things we do can make lasting change far down the road. And this is the story of two people not in a good place now, but believing that the actions they take now as they cross this meadow will lead them to a better future. So in that sense, yes. I definitely think it's not specific. It's a lot more abstract, but I do think that's I do think the themes of the movie and about change and about personal choice are found in the song. It definitely that theme of hope for the future is, is alive and well. Okay. I mean that that gives I guess me I, I see where you're going there. Like I said, yeah, I was more looking at it when I looked at the translation, I looked more at kind of a literal level, I suppose. Um, I only briefly kind of skimmed it once or twice. Right, and it's it's not. It's very thematic. But mm. um, th- that's kind of maybe why it didn't really resonate as, oh yeah, that, that totally kind of belongs with this movie. But Yeah, I have noticed a lot of the Japanese tracks, either because they're not always crafted specifically for the movie and based more around a theme, like, like yeah, if they relate, it is more thematically rather than literally, I've found. But this one especially. The themes of the movie, very much present. The literal events that happened in the movie, not so much. <laughs> yeah, definitely not really a mention of time travel or anything particularly similar like that, I would say. Maybe the first line, a spring snapped and the future stood still, but other than that... <laughs> But but there is, yeah, a big concept of, like, moving towards the future, so. All right, so we did mention that, like I said, that there is a different arrangement that is not used in this movie. It is on the, the single, like, the, if you get the actual movie single, the one with the spiky-eared Pichu on it. Um, let's talk about the instrumentation there. It's It's much more... I don't know if elaborate is the right word. It's in some ways more standard, but in other ways maybe – I'm not sure. I, I wish I had more words to describe it. There's a, a 
decent guitar solo, I would say. Uh, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I don't know how to describe it either, because on the one hand, idle pop is not a genre, like it kind of encompasses many different genres. But if I say like Japanese idol pop, everybody knows what I mean. So we'll go with that. Like it's much more upbeat. It's, you know, got Shoko's really nasally voice vocals. She's less a singer and more a voice actress. And she's not got a real belty voice, but she has that very cutesy sort of airy quality to it. So it's kind of that very idol pop dance track kind of thing going on. But for her style, it's still pretty, still a lot less of that. Very interesting in terms of her career, this song, I think. But it has a very cute vibe to it, despite having, as you said, like a guitar solo and some some like really interesting beat tracks going on. You had said that you preferred the original mix as being associated with this movie rather than this this other version. Can you sort of elaborate why that is? I do. I I think the lyrics being as they are slightly depressing. <laughs> um so I do kind of like just that slower feel and like that there's less going on to distract you. That said, I I do like this more kind of upbeat Genki mix. It's just I don't like it as cutesy and as happy, I think. I think the song is suited better with a slower pace. But that's that's my opinion. <laughs> I don't know if everyone it's sold very well as a single, so Good to know. I mean, I, I like I said, part of me did kinda wanna swap these around a little bit. Maybe I yeah. felt that the ending to a Pokemon movie should have a bit more energy to it. Mm. You have a point there, like the more upbeat does feel more in line with kind of Pokemon as a whole. I mean, we you can still be kind of upbeat and still have it more of a, a ballad quality. I think the um, movie 10 Japanese ending, I Will Be With You, is maybe a, a good example there. Something that has a fair bit of emotion, but isn't super amped up, but still has more energy than, say, this song does. That's a thought, and I sometimes have wondered, because... As much as I love Shokutan and, like, her voice does all sorts of things to me because she is the face of Pokemon, she's not the world's greatest singer. And I've heard covers of this song with singers who are slightly more experienced in, in the world of singing and that business. And th the song kind of takes on a different quality. So I do wonder if maybe a different mix with a different singer, if we would be thinking very differently about this song now. Like, someone who is able to maybe kind of manipulate their voice to bring more of the passion and emotion that a professional singer could in a different way than, than Shokutan does. That might be an interesting thing to uh, for our, our listeners to check out at some point. All right, well, let's sort of uh, maybe analyze the English song a little bit. I think this one has a very clear theme mm. uh, in If We Only Learn. I think the word trust is mentioned many, many times in the lyrics, and it talks a little bit about unity. Uh, but uh, let's sort of talk about the style first. Um, what was sort of your reaction there? I I just love this song. It's like it's just so energetic and like I don't know what would you call this like pop rock or or what? But it I just love that sound. 
that um, this artist brings to Pokemon and to this kind of time of the Pokemon era. Like, it just seems to suit it so well. And the song itself is very meaningful. It's very passionate. I love it. Yeah, it's kind of a, it's, it's, there's an anthemic quality, but it's not, it isn't super loud, maybe. Mm. You know, it's not like a, a, like a heavy rock anthem, but there is somewhat of an anthemic, if that's a word, quality to it. Yeah, like, uh, and that just that pounding, like, boom, boom, like, like, it's just, it just feels like there's so much energy and passion behind the rhythm and behind the chords, like, like, that would have been my reaction. And that's always my reaction whenever I hear it is like, I just love this song. It just makes me feel happy about the movie I just saw. Sounds like you might have actually had a sort of a stronger reaction to it than than I did. I, I do <laughs> like it. Maybe one factor I did want to mention is that in the U.S., uh, some of our listeners may recall that there was a very, very long, dare I say, gap uh, <laughs> between when this movie debuted on television and when the DVD finally came out in America over a year later. That was, I guess, due to some sort of licensing stuff that was going on around that time. But uh, maybe that has sort of weakened my association between the two. Mm. That could be. But uh, let's let's go back to the lyrics for a little bit here. We mentioned the word trust. There's, that is definitely all throughout this. Also, the idea of working together. Uh, thematically, there are some similarities to The Power of One from the second movie, although this is definitely not going for that type of sound, really. Mm. Is that sort of a, an impression that you, you got there, Anne? Or? I, I actually hadn't made a, a connection to The Power of One, though I... I do kind of see it now that you bring it up, but it has that same feel of like the choices we make, trusting each other today, working today, you know, having a hope now will have us change the future. Like that sense of like the change we want in the future is today. And I, I really like that in relation to the movie. Yeah, because there are definitely, well, there are definitely some characters in the movie with, I guess you could say, trust issues. Mm. Certainly our, our main antagonist, I think it's what, uh, Damos? Is, is that his name? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, there's just all sorts of ideas of like, we, we can make the future a better place by having the strength to help other people. And can you find the courage when others let you down? And, you know, having hope in the dark night and all these things that we can do today that will make a brighter future and i don't know with all the, the the movie there were a lot of people trying to change the past and trying to control everything etc or losing hope in the future i do think this is kind of like these are good themes that it, they're taking for the ending ending song i also get the feeling kind of from the the structure and the sound that the song is kind of about building something because there is sort of a a a work ethic. I mean, that's not the right word, huh. but a building. I mean, the song itself isn't super dynamic, but there seems to be something of a. Uh, and of course, if you look at some of the the uh, drawings in the end credits, it does look like there are people doing various types of work to sort of put something together. Is that maybe a better way of describing it? Yeah, and like. You can see throughout the ending credits, like, it goes through time periods as well. Like, you know, people, you know, farming with old t implements or building buildings with old tools to a slightly, you know, more Middle Ages to a slightly more modern. And, yeah, you get that sense of, like, 
people laying a foundation at one point in time that future generations build upon. I don't know. Like, There's something about that that when you think about how long the series had been going at this point, how long Pokemon had been around, like almost seems to take on a double meaning. Just like Pokemon has seen us through a lot of development through our lives. And Pokemon has been here through so much change in the actual world around us that it kind of seems to take on a double meaning when we think of like, oh, we actually can build things that will create change for the future over time. Like we will see it happen in our lifetime. It's not such an abstract concept anymore. I don't know. There's something like very poetic and beautiful about this movie and those themes to me right now. <laughs> I suppose so. I think I think you might actually have uh, more of an attachment to the movie overall than I do, and we may talk about some of that as as time goes on. Maybe. <laughs> but I think we've said about what we can about the songs themselves. Let's let's go on to part three. I think we can sort of compare and contrast and decide which one we like better. Uh, There are definitely, I mean, these are definitely different songs. You would not say that they were really coming from the same place or going to the same place. Maybe if they had used the sort of more, uh, the non-movie arrangement of Antenna of the Heart, I think you might be able to compare these more stylistically and musically. But because of the version they actually did use on the Japanese side in the movie, it definitely seems like there is a very much a, a disparity there. The Japanese one is more broad strokes, maybe, and the English one is more direct. Do you think that's a fair uh, comparison there? In, in a sense, like, on the one hand, the Japanese has very specific lyrics for the metaphor that they're telling, and I am always very partial to that. Like, the Japanese song is telling a very specific metaphor that relates symbolically to the movie. The English side, I would almost say, is more broad strokes because it's very, it, its lyrics relate maybe a little closer to the movie, but there's less of a metaphor. It's, it is, it's anthemic, as you said. It's an anthem. So, as you said, we're really comparing apples to oranges here. It's very hard to say, and there are positive points to both. So, oh, it's so hard to choose. <laughs> Yeah, because the approaches are just so different, it is kind of hard to say, to to make too many direct comparisons. I'm not sure I have a super strong opinion about which of these I like better. I I think that maybe if we only learn edges is out, intent of the heart, maybe it's vice versa. I just maybe I just don't have a strong enough attraction to either song. They're both good, but I think they especially compared to maybe some of the other stuff, really kind of on both sides in this, you know, three-movie trilogy, neither of them, I think, nails any particular aspects so well, either musically or thematically or whatever, that I feel like I have to, that I I can make a a super qualitative, you know, statement about either. I I think I'm going to call it kind of a tie, but it's another one of those ones that's kind of nebulous that they, I can't really say neither one of them stands out so much, but yet they are so kind of approaching things differently that I can't really compare them well enough. Is that sort of makes sense there, Anne? It does make sense. Like For me, it, it really depends on my mood, I think, which one I'd go with on any given day, because on the one hand, I do appreciate that deeper metaphor about 
building things for the future. And again, Shoko Nakagawa is the face of Pokemon. Like when I think of Pokemon, I think of her. So when I hear her voice singing and one of the better songs in her arsenal, like for me, like this is one of her songs that I relate to so much better. Uh, like it's hard for me not to pick it, but at the same time, I really think I do like Chris Barzinski's uh, if we only learn a little bit better just as a song, it's, it's kind of more in my musical tastes. And there, there is something inspiring about it that when I finish the movie and I kind of have all these deep thoughts about the future and Arceus and how we relate to the world, it kind of makes me feel like I want to get up and do something about it. So, but I, I think I, I think I, if we only learn, we'll edge out, but only by like a millimeter for me. <laughs> Yeah, because you just can't draw too many lines from one to the other, other than the fact that they are, you know, related to the same movie, ostensibly. Yeah. Yeah, I I think, like I said, I think I have a a, a tie-ish here. It's just that there's not enough to differentiate to really... And and like I said, it sounds like you might be a little more attached to both of these songs than I am. It it seems so, yes. (laughs) But that's okay. (laughs) All right. Well, there's there's other music to talk about here. Let's start with uh, one thing we usually do talk about. This is the opening thing. This movie, uh, unlike uh, the Shaman movie, does have a sort of proper opening sequence with a um, with the, with an actual song. It's in in both cases. It's the one from the, that generation of the or that season of the TV show. So on the Japanese side, there is High Touch 2009, as it is, as it is generally referred to. Yes. And then on the English side, we have Battle Cry Stand Up, an extended version of that. Uh, first of all, you know, High Touch, it, there was the TV version. They really did change the instrumentation quite a bit for this, this version of it, didn't they? My goodness, yeah. The, that brass section came out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, no, it's... Very, very different, very filled out and bombastic, that that instrumentation. <laughs> I don't know if I like it better so much, because the instrumentation is not the part of high touch that's the selling point for me, but I do like it. Of course, it is um, performed by uh, Satoshi and Hikari, mm. I hope I said that really close, Ash and Dawn's uh, Japanese voice actors. I, I do kind of say, looking back at this movie, while they are both present, I don't feel like they're the, the primary actors in this film to a great degree. Things are kind of spread out role-wise. Uh, so do you think it was made this work better, worse, or what? Well, given how many of the opening themes are sung by Satoshi, that the movie necessarily is not about him at all, that doesn't really bother me so much. And given that High Touch... Like, it fits the scene it's in, I think, and it it's all about, like, trying to find the words to, like, express your gratitude for people and things. So I think there's kind of a more metaphoric application it could take to the movie, so it doesn't bother me. I, I do think if we didn't have the convention of always having to use the opening themes in the opening, like, scene, that I would have gone for something different myself, but... Like, since that's a thing we do, it doesn't bother me. I suppose. And I do believe the opening sequence is a tag battle uh, yeah. with, with Ash and Dawn on one side and the other two folks on the other. Yes, yeah, so like I said, if, if it's the scene it's in well enough that 
So yeah, they may they may well have made that decision based on knowing what the song was going to be. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they have some flexibility there. So on the English side, we have "Battle Cry Stand Up" by Aaron Bowman, who we will be talking about at length in the next episode because he does the ending theme for the Zoroark movie. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think I, I really like this this song. I haven't ever seen the Japanese opening with that. I'm very familiar with the song, but haven't seen how it's actually into the opening. But I think the dynamics of this uh, actually fit the opening sequence pretty well. What about you? I really like this song, and yeah, like it. It just has a sense of Pokemon battle, so it's it's another just really good choice to fit the scene it's in. Yeah, I think the only real criticism I have about this extended version is maybe that. Um, there's a line that says, because your friends are there for you. I think well, it might have been better with all your friends are there for you, I think is more what I expected lyrically there. Mm. But uh, as far as Aaron's performance, she does a great job. You can kind of see why we're going to get more songs out of her in the fourth and fifth generation. And uh, she's she's since gone on to quite a career. She's not super famous or anything, but uh, well, we'll talk more about that in the next episode. So I guess the next thing we've got to talk about is the score to this movie. Now, again, this is a fourth-generation movie, so the score is more or less the same between the English and Japanese version. They're taking the Japanese score and, for the most part, reusing that. I definitely think if there is an interest, the most interesting track on the score is Solar Eclipse Days, that one track. That's probably the most unique, I think, of all of them. Yeah, I, I guess they bring back some of the themes from some of the legendary Pokemons from some of the previous movies. Yeah, and I don't know, there's, I mean, I like, like, the musical choices they make for, like, Arceus and Rebirth and things like that, but it's just, like, it's nothing, like, super special, whereas that's the one song I can pick out. It's like, oh, something different is going on. Okay. That being said, you know, I, this trilogy started off with movie 10, and that has one of the most memorable score pieces, you know, Arasian ever. Do you think this this might have this trilogy might have been front loaded musically? Possibly, yeah. Like I would have I mean, I don't like thinking of music as something like that there's a finite amount or you know it's like I, I don't understand why they couldn't have continued to build, but uh like we talked about it then, like the movie ten score was lacking in some ways except for, say, Arasian and a few other things. Yeah, I really don't feel like they improved upon that in subsequent movies, and that makes me sad. Like, I would have liked to see things build musically as they built story-wise and, you know, thematic-wise and legendaries. They just got bigger and bigger. Yeah, it does feel like if if they were really going for a trilogy, it it feels like musically that this movie should have had something approaching or perhaps somehow exceeding that of uh, the previous ones. But I guess maybe with Arasian being what it is, that was pretty hard to do. Yeah, and and I don't know. It would have been interesting to maybe see them tie back more themes in a more unique way instead of kind of just reusing them. But I don't know. <laughs> I, I just feel like there was a missed opportunity here, like especially since things were kind of tying in with the story and with the Pokemon we saw kind of leading up to the point where we, we met, you know, Pokemon of creation and kind of had a really big world moment. Like, I, w- I would have liked the musical story to kind of have gone along with that a little more than it does, instead of just kind of being there. But Yeah, as we've said in the last few episodes, I think after 10 is sort of the turning point where we don't get as 
interesting uh, a score as uh, in some of the, the previous films. There are a couple other musical aspects I did want to kind of touch on here. The the Antenna of the Heart singles have a number of other songs. Most of them are not really related to the movie in any way, but there is uh, Get Fired Up, Notch-Eared Pichu, yes. which is very, very energetic and very, or genki is the Japanese word that gets used there. <laughs> um, any particular thoughts on that one? You know... Like, if it were me, I would purchase the Shoko's CD, which has more of her songs on it. I am less fond of the, of the Spiky Eared Pikachu track, but like, I can see young kids really having a blast with it. Like, cause it, yeah, as you said, it is Genki. It's like full of energy and fun. So yeah, Moyo Gizamimi Pikachu, like, I can see the kids loving it. So I, I don't want to hate on it too much, but I if it were, came down to a choice between me, I would I would pick the CD track list that has like Senode Koi Shichai or Glasino Prism. Yeah, I'm not sure how much. It's been a while, unfortunately, since I've listened to that particular song, but it is definitely uh, energetic there, and uh, <laughs> I think worth a listen, to be honest. Yeah, no, you'll have a good time. Whether or not you want to listen to it on repeat is another discussion, but you'll definitely enjoy yourself. <laughs> and uh, since we've been using the word trilogy a lot, in the English end credits, they do do a reprise of the English ending theme songs from the 10th and 11th movie. So we get to hear a little bit of This is a Beautiful World and I'll Always Remember You in there. I'm sure, well, I'd asked you earlier, they don't do that in the Japanese side, probably partially for rights reasons, but do you think that maybe ties things a little better on the English side, maybe? I think it does, yeah. And yeah, I think that's definitely a freedom that the English side has, having kind of contracted everything in-house the way they did, that they can do things like that. I don't think, like, I, I certainly don't remember any even, like, little riffs off of past movie themes on movie 12 on the Japanese side. And as you said, it's probably for rights reasons. But that's a nice little touch on the English side, I think, that kind of helps tie those three movies together in the way that they're supposed to be. All right. Well, I think, you know, maybe we can give a few thoughts on the movie itself here. I think we should try to start doing that. But to be honest, the the 12th movie, Arceus and the Jewel of Life, I think it's a nice movie. It doesn't do too many things. It, you know, it doesn't have any standout bad moments to me, really, but I don't think there's anything in it that it does for me that hits me super hard as that was really good either. Uh, Anne, do you have any thoughts there? Uh, as someone who digs way too deep into Pokemon storytelling, like there are a lot of aspects of this movie that I really love and like the more I think about it, the more it touches me, but it's not the most cohesive tight movie like whereas movie 10 just two movies ago that started off this trilogy thing my goodness that was quite the movie quite the plot it just all came together in such a beautiful way this one it kind of like had hit and miss moments and unfortunately i think a lot of the movies coming after it will be much the same like none of them are going to be hitting it straight out of the park but what it, this movie does well i think I don't like the mood shifts, but when it kind of has a moment of poignancy about 
creation or about the world and the future, about changing the present for our children, things like that. Like when it kind of gets into slightly more heady concepts, I think that's where the movie really shines because Pokemon is able to tell very broad, very deep and poignant Aesop-type fables. So I think when this movie kind of makes use of the rich lore they have to draw from to tell those deep thoughts about that that can speak to the parents as well as the kids, I think that's where this movie really shines. I just wish that they could kind of tie it together a little more solidly throughout the script instead of just a couple moments here and there. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'll agree with you on the fable aspect. I do believe the location is based on like um, ancient Greece slash Rome slash stuff like that. I guess the other thing I wanted to mention, do you think there are too many characters in this movie? No, because Pokemon for me has always been like, they can tell ensemble storytelling. Like that's always been a thing. I, I do think it suffers from the fact that we always have to have Team Rocket. We always have to be following Ash. So like that, and that kind of helps, I think, or hurts rather with what I was saying, where it's like things don't tie together the way they should. But I don't think having too many characters is the issue. I think where we focus on which characters when is more of the issue. Yeah, no, Pokemon has always been able to tell ensemble stories. So I'm not that that to me, I don't think is quite the problem. Well, with that being said, let's go ahead and look forward to our next episode. Next episode, of course, is movie 13 Zoroark. Ruler of Illusions, and uh, on the Japanese side, the ending theme song, Sukuma Switch, brings us Ice Cream Syndrome, which is kind of an interesting title in and of itself, but I think we'll have a, a good amount to say there. <laughs> and on the English side, we have the aforementioned Aaron Bowman with I Believe in You. So uh, I think this, that's going to be a really interesting. Those are two really of kind of my favorite uh, Pokemon songs, certainly of the last couple generations. I think we're going to get a very good discussion out there. But until then, thank you very much, Anne, for being on. Thank you for having me. This has been Stephen Reich from the Pokepress Studios in Madison, Wisconsin, discussing the music of the 12th Pokemon movie, Arceus and the Jewel of Life. Thanks for listening to the PokePress Digest Podcast. We'd appreciate if you rate or review us on your podcast app of choice. If you'd like to find more of our great content, visit our website at pokepress.blogspot.com. If you'd like to contact us, send an email to pokepress at gmail.com or follow at pokepress on Twitter. So, just to go back to that for just a second, are you saying that the 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 record companies didn't actually send you like sheet music to work off of to build the uh, the little note highways on there. No, no, no. It was all done by we were given the track, so the actual the the audio. Uh, we would just chuck that into our music software and uh, figure out the tempo. You know, if there's any weird time changes, we can we sort of program that all in, so we have a template to work with, and then we basically just sort of get rolling and listen to each bit and figure out what's going on and and translate that into. Uh, MIDI notes, which is the, the sort of musical programming language that we used. And then some very clever people in the tools team were able to just instantly turn that into gameplay and we can program some stuff in our software and, and try it out on the, you know, sort of straight away to see if it works, see if it's right. And then 
there was loads of reviewing tracks and people having uh you know listening back to it and going hang on a second i don't think you got this quite right here or actually i'm hearing this note here instead of this one and and there was loads of sort of teamwork and working together so that really helps but no there was no sheet music there was no annotations or directions or anything like that it was literally just here's the audio and just turn it into a song basically so that's yeah that's kind of how it went interesting interesting well going back to that ss and one that you did recently yeah first of all why did you choose that track